know, I'd rather take a good team with a bad idea versus, you know, a good idea with a bad team, right? Because the good team's going to like bob and weave and figure it out and, you know, make it work. And then the why is important to me. So, you know, I do a lot of mentoring and I can't get involved with all these different businesses, but the ones that resonate are ones that, you know, fit my values, where I said it's doing something good for planet or people or hopefully both. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. No matter what you choose to do in life, it's nearly impossible to succeed without some help along the way. Now, that help can come in a variety of forms. It could be financial, it could be an opportunity, or perhaps it could simply be the right advice or encouragement from the right person at the right time. No one gets there alone, and it's always inspiring to see someone who's had success find the time and or the resources to help others succeed. Praveen Varshney is doing exactly that. Extremely accomplished in his own career, Praveen takes great pride in supporting other entrepreneurs in a variety of manners. He's also a big believer in community, health and wellness, and family, which is why he's been invested in Little Kitchen Academy from the very beginning. Though his time is in great demand, Praveen agreed to meet me in the kitchen for a wide-ranging conversation that includes failing physics, trademarking acronyms, and obsessing about his favorite new sport. I'm just happy we could schedule some time where you were not playing pickleball. I, I hear you're a bit of a pickleball <laughs> aficionado. Is this true? Indeed. Yeah. No, I, I was going to bring it up if you didn't. So, <laughs> Where did that passion come from? How did it begin? You know what? I started the sport about four years ago because my wife, she had started playing and both of our kids, which I'll also talk about a little bit later, we're both in university. And so we're kind of empty nesterish, even though we're at UBC, which is only seven minutes away. But, you know, your life kind of comes full circle. Like, you know, you start as a couple and you're so busy with all in on the kids and then um, you're back to being a couple again. And so Anuja, my wife and I would go for walks with our Labradoodle and, and we did yoga, but we didn't actually play a sport together. And so she started and I played a lot of sports growing up. I was high school badminton champion in Vancouver, grade 10, mind you. So that was a long time ago, but I played a lot of tennis, played a lot of ping pong. So it was kind of a mishmash of all the sports. So I took to it pretty easily. And then I went from playing once a week co-ed with her to I play four or five times a week. Actually, I use it for business as, as Brian will tell you, like we'll do business meetings on the pickleball court because it's just way more efficient than going to the golf course, which is you know fun, but just takes too long in my opinion. <laughs> It does. And it's a long day. If you're going to be out on the golf course, pickleball match can be over in a half an hour, an hour, however you really want to play. How much of it, Praveen, is not just the sport itself, but the community? Because it seems to be a rapidly expanding community from my view. For sure. Yeah. No, the beauty of the sport, it's really easy to play and, and pick up. Like, you know, we've taken people out that aren't even athletic, never played a racket sport. Within that first hour, you know, they're getting the hang of it, having some good rallies. You can actually even see improvement within the hour. You know, you can play tennis or golf your whole life and still not be very good. But this sport's actually kind of unique that way. And it's very inclusive. I was telling to somebody early this morning that there's a gentleman who's 92 years old. 
that I play with who's very good. And even my father, who's 80, I mean, he'll come out once in a while, but what sport can you have three generations, you know, get together and have fun, right? Our kids play. And so there's so much about it that I love. And, you know, we all know that we want a long life, but the quality that goes with it, right? Physically and mentally. So I truly think, and which is why I joined the Vancouver Pickleball Association board, (laughs) was that, you know, this is something you can do till you're very old. And a lot of older people too deal with social isolation and loneliness. And so this is something that, you know, creates community. And because it's fast, you know, for brain health, I think it's going to help keep things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's at a bay. And so there's similar reasons why I love it. And, you know, it's a dollar plastic ball and the paddle lasts forever. You don't have to restring it, right? I know there's the pushback from tennis people around it. And I just love getting those people out and say, just try it. And then you see them get hooked. (laughs) So have, have you guys tried it yet? I have not tried it yet, though my wife has, and she did it for a friend's birthday. That was kind of what they did. And then they had a little meal afterwards, and she absolutely loved it. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. Well, so uh, Anuja, I would love to take you you and Fiona out. So just at any time, just let us know. (laughs) All right, we're going to be there then. I've got an invite. This is the first time I've had that on this podcast. But I hear you mention a bunch of different things there, Praveen, and knowing a bit of your backstory and doing some research. I know there's a number of things that you touched on about pickleball that are important to you in your life that we will touch on. Community, inclusivity, family. But you did mention Brian in there as well. Brian Curran, one of the founders, like yourself, of Little Kitchen Academy. I'm wondering how this all came about with Brian and Felicity, who you've known for a very long time. You talked to a lot of people about a lot of startups, about a lot of companies. What was it about the concept of Little Kitchen Academy that got your attention? Yeah. So Felicity originally spoke to me about the idea and, you know, I'm just a big fan of entrepreneurship and you haven't been one for many, many years. And so whenever I see that little spark in someone, like I'm trying to like get it out. right? And literally, I think it was at the house in the kitchen of a parent at a school function where she actually raised the idea. So that's kind of where it birthed. But, you know, she got busy, you know, with her three girls and the timing wasn't quite right. And then when she reached out uh, a few years later and said, look, I've made the decision to start. I'd love to have you involved as you get it. You'd love it, can add value. So I came in as a co-founder, as you mentioned, initial investor and advisor. And, you know, things that I liked about it was it'll actually come through when I explain how I explain Little Kitchen to people. I go, look, we're creating a global franchise of cooking schools to teach little kids as young as three how to cook, which is life skill that unfortunately I don't have. (laughs) And it's a lot more than that. Like we're teaching kids how to become independent using cooking as the vehicle, right? So hopefully they can become independent in other areas of their life. And we try and teach them about proper food, nutrition, and diet. We teach them how to grow food, which, you know, a lot of kids don't even know, you know, they just think it comes from a grocery store, you know, during the three hour class, you know, we teach them science concepts. You've got, you know, math, chemistry, physics, And at the end of the class, you know, they sit at a long community table and eat what they cook. So they learn some social skills and etiquette. And the table, as you've seen, and our cutting boards are made from recycled chopsticks, which is a a Vancouver company um, called Chop Value that uh, I'd gotten to know and I introduced to Brian and and Felicity. And so the kids are learning about recycling and circular economy. And and one of the, the final things is we have that charity component trying to teach kids about philanthropy at a young age so hopefully it becomes a lifelong habit but you know they get a chance to donate you know a little loony into a jar representing one of three different charities that they learn about so break all that apart and just a couple of those things would be an amazing business but to have all of that in one like you know i just love everything about it and i'm not sure if your children went through little kitchen academy or not just because of where they're at in their lives but 
if they went, or if you've had friends who've sent their children, what's the feedback been? Our kids were older, so they weren't able to participate. But, you know, I've had so many friends, you know, kids go through and just like to hear the stories of, you know, how much fun they had and, and, you know, like they're trying, you know, certain vegetables for the first time, or, you know, they've, you know, got friends that are going and they're, you know, all cooking at home. Like there's so many wonderful stories. It's, it's just a feel good business. And so I just love talking about it, hearing, you know, stories that people share. So yeah, it's just a, a lot of fun. How much did the family element resonate with you as well? Not everybody goes into business with his or her partner, but you have a family business that you started with your father, your brother as well. Did that resonate on that level? Yeah. You know what? Like a family business unit, there's nothing like it in terms of, you know, trust and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I've been working with my father and my younger brother for 30 years. And one of the things, though, that you need that comes along with it is thick skin because, <laughs> you know, when you interact you don't necessarily kind of beat around the bush. You know, you just kind of go straight for the jugular. And so you realize, well, you know, if something's being shared, it's for your good and the greater good. And so don't take it personally. But one of the challenges too, though, is, you know, when you get together as a family unit, you know, you try not to talk shop or biz and especially the spouses, you know, they're like, can we all stop talking about business? But we always come back to it. But, you know, that's the thing too. Like if you love what you do, you know, then it's not work as they say. You know, I, I coined this expression a number of years ago that every day is a Monday. Like to me, every day is the beginning of the next work week. And if you love Mondays, you know, it's a good thing. And a lot of people dread Mondays and it's TGIF. But for me, as I said, like uh, my business life, my personal life are so entwined. And I basically work, you know, 365 days a year, 366 in leap year. <laughs> I think that the sweet spot is to find something that, that you're good at and that you're passionate about. Because, you know, you might hear, oh, try and find something that you're passionate about. But that by itself, I don't think is sufficient. Like, it's also going to be something you're good at. My wife sometimes has to bug me, like, you know, get off the computer and get <laughs> back with the family. And in a little kitchen, like, it's just neat to see how it's gone from, you know, Brian and, you know, Felicity and their girls and, and you two. And so it's truly become an extended family business, uh, for sure. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Now, you alluded to it a couple of minutes ago that you don't have those lifelong cooking skills that they're teaching at Little Kitchen Academy. So I'm really interested to hear your answer to the question that we ask everybody on this podcast. Praveen, what is the one ingredient that is always in your kitchen and why? Yeah, well, when Brian first asked me that, you know, three years ago, you know, uh, he didn't keep the answer because I said it my wife. <laughs> so she's an amazing uh, cook. But in seriousness, the answer I'd say is a good hot sauce. You know, being Indian, I just love spicy food and a uh, good hot sauce is so versatile. You can put it on pretty much anything and everything and you know, just kind of make it taste better. <laughs> and there's always opportunity to add it to enhance a meal. And I wondered if your word might actually be opportunity outside of the thought of having food in your kitchen, because your story is one of opportunity and your family's story, Praveen, is one of opportunity. I'm somewhat familiar with your family's journey to Vancouver, where you've been for the bulk of your life, but I'd love for you to share that with our listeners because I think it really does speak to and inform a lot of things that you've done in your life. So our family, we're you know, landed immigrants from India. So I was about five when I came here with my father and my mother and my brother. And actually, my dad came first as a student. He worked as a, a busboy in the UBC cafeteria where he came to do his MBA. And the only reason he came 
to Vancouver was because UBC was the only university of the three that he applied to from India that gave him a scholarship. And then uh, it took him a while to save some money to bring, you know, mom and the two of us over. And our whole family kind of followed the business path. You know, dad was at UBC doing his MBA. He actually quit to do his uh, CPA. And then I went through and did a business degree. I focused on accounting. My brother went through there, then my sister. And then currently we've got four of the eight grandkids there. So uh, the Sauter Business School at UBC knows the family very well. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you've got uh, two younger daughters. And, and so you're going to be going through this, I'm sure, soon enough. But even with their own, own two kids, you know, this whole idea of, you know, trying to figure out early what you want to be when you grow up, like it's hard, right? And so we actually tried to take the pressure off them and, and said, look, it's okay if you don't know what you want to be, right? You're too young. You don't have any life experience, no real world experience. And part of trying to figure out what you want to do is to experiment and try stuff and at least toss out the stuff you know you don't like. So it's a sort of a process of narrowing it down. And, and my own story was the same way. Actually, I was a science student. I love sciences, you know, right through high school and, and first year UBC, I actually took sciences, but then I failed physics. It was so damn hard. And so I started questioning myself. I'm like, okay, I've never failed anything in my life. You know, I'm not having fun and this is how I'm going to be in my career. And I thought I was going to be an electrical engineer and I really had no clue what an electrical engineer would do. But I thought, well, let me try business because, you know, my dad was already in business. And growing up, you may think of the big professions, you know, doctor, lawyer, dentist, whatever. And there's always whatever your mom and dad were, right? Because you grew up around it, we're familiar with it. So I thought, okay, you know, he's had a decent career. And if I didn't like business, I could always go back. But anyways, so went into business, totally loved it. And then graduated. And then my career kind of went in three phases. So I also became a CPA, like my father. And actually, a few years back, I got what's called an FCPA designation, which is sort of the highest honor for accountants, similar to my father. So uh, apparently, we're the only father-son FCPA combo in BC. So it's kind of cool. So five years as an accountant. And then a pivotal moment, I was trying to switch departments in the accounting firm to get a little more experience. I was trying to get into the tax group, and there wasn't room. So basically, I got fired. And and I didn't know at the time I was being fired, but, <laughs> and my dad said, you're going to look back and say, this is, you know, the best thing that ever happened to you. And it truly was because basically forced me to get off on my own and, and become an entrepreneur. So it's kind of a serendipitous, you know, start to being an entrepreneur. So I joined my father and my brother came in a few years later. And, you know, I look back now at this 30 year career and, you know, we've started a handful of companies in so many different sectors. The very first one, I was 27, was the discovery of a diamond mine in Northern Canada in the Northwest Territories. And, you know, De Beers came in as our partner and we created this multi-billion dollar diamond mine. And it was obviously an awesome start as an entrepreneur. I'm like, wow, this is easy, my first deal. And obviously very risky in, in the mining user sector. But uh, just carrying on with the story, our second project was a casino company. And so we worked with a lot of the First Nations in California helping start their casinos so they could become independent. And it was a lot of fun. You know, we'd go to Vegas regularly for trade shows, board meetings, that kind of thing. And then it was a public company. The stock did very well. And I really cut my teeth as an entrepreneur because all of a sudden it went from a startup to like 100 staff. And I remember coming home to my wife and going, wow, this is like serious business. We got 100 people that depend on this paycheck to put food on the table for their families. And, you know, I'm the most senior finance person on this small management team that's making decisions every day to impact that person. You know, if you have to make a bad decision, let people go. So it's a lot of weight and responsibility on your shoulders to make good calls. Anyway, so we did the casino company, exit out of that. We started an internet gambling company. It was one of the world's first online, you know, poker and slots. And then we did a couple more businesses after that. So that was about a 14 year run where we were day-to-day -day entrepreneurs. And 
And what happened was once you've got some exits and some uh, capital behind you, you can give it to someone to manage for you or you can manage yourself. And so we became what's called a family office. So basically our full-time job was just managing our capital. And a lot of it is investing in businesses and real estate, that kind of thing. And then what happened was the very first project we invested in and worked with was in Victoria, a company called Carmana. And we built it into Canada's largest solar company. So it was a rocket ship ride. It went from a startup to 75 million revenues in five years. It was a public company. The stock did very well. And I remember thinking, wow, this is amazing. We're doing something good for the planet. And our daughter, Jaya, her first child had just been born. You know, we're doing something to benefit her and future generations. And we're making all this money for investors and ourselves. Like we should be doing more of this kind of investing or business versus say casinos. And so it became the accidental serendipitous start to social impact ESG investing. This is 20 years ago, before it was even a word or a thing or a movement. That's one of the things I'm really proud about is my career has been primarily based on investing and backing companies like uh, Carmana, Little Kitchen. Currently in our portfolio, we probably have two dozen businesses. Each one, if I explain to you what it does, and more importantly, it's why, like why it exists, you'd go, that's amazing. Because, you know, if you can do good and make money, you know, it's a no brainer. And just, you know, I guess to quickly summarize. So for me, it was three things. One was just through age and experience, learning that just because something's legal doesn't mean it's good or right. And no disrespect to many people that make their living in a legal industry like gaming, you know, it just doesn't fit our values because, you know, there's going to be some people being, you know, uh, hurt along the way. And that second thing was that lens of becoming a parent, right? It really impacted how I looked at not only business, but the planet, because you know, it was all about, as I said, like, how do we, you know, fix some of these, you know, massive issues and problems that we've created for, you know, these poor kids <laughs> that are kind of inheriting the earth, as they say, and use business as a tool to create sustainable change. Because, you know, charity and philanthropy is important and needed. And we've had a family foundation that my wife's been running for many years, but it's sustainable business is how we're going to fix the air, the soil, the ocean, the plastic, that kind of thing. And, you know, the final thing I'd say is, you know, as you get on, you start thinking about things like, you know, legacy, you know, like what's your role on the planet? You know, why do you exist? You know, when you die, is anybody going to care? Is anybody going to show up at your funeral? What are they going to say about you? And it's kind of that, you know, verse engineer to your tombstone, like what you want to see written on it. And then I find, you know, people that work with these sorts of businesses are just lovely people, like the kind of that high bar of someone you invite to your house for dinner. So that's uh, a little bit about sort of, you know, another reason why we kind of really focus on Little Kitchen Academy, because everything about it was just wonderful. <laughs> There are a lot of different ways we can go based on what you said there, a lot to dig into. But one of the things you said that really struck me is how your path was informed by what people would consider a failure. And it's really the reframing of that. In your case, you failed physics or you were let go from one opportunity. But I think what people fail to realize, Praveen, and this has been my experience in my own life as well, is that that is as much a success as anything else because it tells you what you don't want to do, or it tells you a path you're not really passionate about going down. How do we reframe that for our children and for the masses? Yeah. And so with both our kids, you know, we've basically given them a license to fail, right? And, and we've always encouraged them. And, you know, they've grown up in sort of an entrepreneurial family environment. And so it's kind of neat to see that both Jay, our daughter, who's 22, and our son, Anish, who's 20, they've been not only listening, watching, absorbing, but now applying. Our son, especially, like he's been an entrepreneur since he was about 14. And every time we come up with an idea, like we would never say, oh, you know, that's dumb or no, or, you know, forget that. It was like, great, go for it. Try it. Okay, what do you need? <laughs> and so I think that's important for anybody out there to, you know, to realize that, well, one, you won't know till you try. 
And then generally failure isn't permanent, right? And, and you know, most entrepreneurs fail their way to success. It's rare you have someone like, you know, Michael Dell starts his first company out of his dormitory and becomes a billionaire, right? But, you know, most entrepreneurs I've seen, you know, they've had one or two failures before they finally kind of learn and, and figure it out. And then, you know, being Indian, one of the things I like to talk about too is, you know, we live in this amazing universe and I don't think there's sort of chance and luck. I think it's, you know, this wonderful design that's being played out. And so you, you meet people for a reason, things happen to you for a reason. You may not know it at the time, but you will figure it out, right? And, and so when I'm mentoring kids, different you know, educational institutions, one of the things I say is you may hear this advice, oh, you got to get better at saying no to things. And I've run my whole life on saying yes to more things than I've said no, <laughs> right? Because it creates different opportunities, like public speaking, for example. I do a lot of public speaking, you know, like this. And you never know who's going to be in the audience and who's going to hear what and what calls come out of that. I get quoted in the press a lot, you know, as a thought leader in certain areas. And again, you know, you don't know who's going to read something and what's going to come out of that. Um, you know, chance conversations, lineups, you know, just it's all about taking chances and saying yes. And that really speaks to a number of the values that Little Kitchen Academy has and really the way that they instruct in those classes. It's about leading with yes with the children. It's about having the students try things. Hey, try anything on the growing wall. And the only way you're going to know is if you try it. You might like it, you might dislike it, but you'll never know unless you try. And that really speaks to the alignment of values that you seem to have, Praveen, and that Little Kitchen Academy seems to have. Yeah, totally agree. You know, as we've gotten older, a lot of our friends who have kids are, are younger. And I always like to talk to them about sharing some experiences. And, and my two pieces of favorite advice I try and impart is one, it's a Stephen Covey quote, you want to give them roots and wings, right? So hopefully with that foundation, when they eventually flop away, you know, they'll be fine. And then the second one is just three words. It's example, example, example. So basically, you just got to role model the behavior that you want them to emulate and follow. And especially during those early formative years, because, you know, they're like sponges. Even when you don't think they're watching, just crawling around like they are watching, you know, just by leading by example is a great way to be a parent. And with our two kids, and I also have to thank my life partner, my wife, Anuja. She's been absolutely incredible the time. She's invested uh, in their upbringing and involvement at their school, you know, the PVG and the board. You know, we've tried to show them by traveling, for example, like we've traveled all over the world. And then whenever we travel, and, and sure, it's fun to go to Hawaii and Mexico, those sorts of places. But, you know, when you go to Africa or India and really show them how most of the world lives, you know, hopefully they come back feeling grateful, right? And we also try to incorporate service work. So one of our last trips pre-COVID in Uganda, where we went for that silverback gorilla trekking, amazing experience. And we spent a whole day in an orphanage. You know, we've gone to Mexico five times to build a home for a, uh, you know, needy family. Our kids would tell you it's one of their favorite weekends of the year. And even just locally, like when they were young, you know, the whole concept of, you know, being inclusive, right? If you see, you know, some poor child standing in the corner by himself, like you be the one to bring him into the group, Right. Actually, you're going to laugh too. So, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, I've always been a lifelong believer in uh, personal growth and development. So when the kids were first starting off to school, so literally they're in preschool or kindergarten, they'd walk out the door with my wife driving them. And there was a list of five affirmations that they had to repeat to me. <laughs> and so the first one was have fun. The second one was kind of related, similar, was laugh and smile often. The third one was remember people's names and use them often. And then uh, number four was the longer one. People won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And the last one was 
always buy real estate. <laughs> so our, our daughter, you know, she'd be the first and then our son would repeat it. And then he became a bit wise guy and, you know, he'd just go ditto or, you know, what she said. right? But the idea was to teach him that so much of life's happiness and success comes out of relationships. Right. And so how do you build relationships quickly and deeply and, and maintain them on a long-term basis? And, and quite frankly, for me, even though I'm an accountant, you know, that's my sort of superpower. Like that's what I've been really good at. And, you know, playing a lot of team sports, you learn that everything's about teams. Right. And, and so in my email signature, you'll see this African proverb alone, you can go fast, but together we can go far. So again, it's about, you know, building teams. And so uh, it's kind of neat to see that, you know, they've realized that it's not about aptitude, it's more about the attitude. And so kind of already found their marks. And I think that's going to be our biggest legacy is how these two little people, hopefully they're listening, <laughs> are actually tall people now, you know, live out their lives and make their marks and, you know, kind of carry on hopefully a lot of the, the values that we've been imparting on them. You mentioned the importance of relationships, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I would not begin to try to rank or prioritize the relationships in your life, but certainly at the top or very near the top would be the one with your wife, Anuja, who I know a little bit. But would you say, Praveen, she's your weather vane? When you have those difficult decisions, when you have those moral or ethical ones in investments, social impact decisions, is that where you turn? Is that who you use as your sounding board? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, she's just been a phenomenal life partner. And, you know, she's also an accountant, although she hasn't been uh, practicing for, for many, many years. But, you know, she's got a, a really good big heart. And she's probably one of the most generous people I know, always thinking of others and sacrificing her own needs above, you know, anyone else. And it's reflected through to our kids. You know, when we see them interact with both sets of grandparents, it's really heartwarming to see how, you know, kind and loving they are to them. And then both their kids are near the upper end of, you know, eight or nine cousins. So even with their cousins, they're almost all one year apart. So it's kind of neat. So because of the values that, you know, she's shown and, and brought to them. So yeah. And then on the business side, like I, I've seen her weather vane kick in a few times where she's like, I'm not sure about that investment or that person, right? And then uh, she proves me right later. <laughs> but our family partnership is interesting. So I'm the eternal optimist, trust people till they show me a reason to not trust them. <laughs> you know, with that approach in life, you know, unfortunately, you kind of do make some mistakes here and there, but it's hard to kind of change because I'm just kind of wired that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. And I would say the same dynamic where I use my wife as that weather vane as well. And it's interesting when you talk about some of those conversations you have, you have decisions to make about who to back. And as you explained earlier in our conversation, you have tried to use your business ventures to create positive social impact, not only in your community, but beyond. So when you are sitting down with a startup, when you're sitting down with a company that's looking to do something, everybody can say the right thing, but not everybody does the right thing. What do you need to see? What do you need to feel? To get on board, Praveen. So, you know, the biggest thing I'd say to use a poker term, it's table stakes to expect the entrepreneur to be, you know, hardworking, driven, you know, all those sorts of things, right? But the, the X factors that I look for are vision and passion, right? And so in the investing world, like this, there's a whole spectrum. And so we invest more at the earlier stage, you know, side. So you don't have a lot of history to go on. So a lot of it's about the team. I call them the T's the team, timing, the TAM, meaning the adjustable market, like how big is the opportunity, traction, if they actually have some. You know, I'll see some people that will spend a lot of time doing due diligence on a startup. And I'm like, how, why? Like, I mean, like, and I said, it's more about 
you know, these qualitative factors more than the, the sort of quantitative factors. And, you know, I'd rather take a good team with a bad idea versus, you know, a good idea with a bad team, right? Because the good team's going to like bob and weave and figure it out and, you know, make it work. And then the why is important to me. So, you know, I do a lot of mentoring and I can't get involved with all these different businesses, but the ones that resonate are ones that, you know, fit my values, where I said it's doing something good for planet or people or hopefully both. You mentioned the company Carmana before, which was obviously a great success. Is there a person in particular, Praveen, that stands out over the years, someone that you took a chance on or just had a good feeling about, someone you've mentored that has really built him or herself into something that you're proud to say you were a part of? Oh, wow, Scott. There's so many stories. You know, I keep a little file folder, I call it, like kind of rocking chair stuff of just, you know, cards and emails of hundreds of people literally over the years that I've met and you know, just that one piece of advice you know, one contact's kind of help them on their journey. So when I meet someone, coming back to the whole relationship side of things, I have a three-step process. So, you know, step one is because I have a sincere, genuine interest in people's stories, I'll start with, well, tell me your story. You know, like, you know, where were you born? What did you study? What were some of your first jobs? What kind of a family environment did you grow up in? What did your parents do, right? And then step two would be, well, tell me about the now. Okay, so what's your business? How did you start it? Why did you start it? Where are you at now? And then step three is where are you trying to get to? And so hopefully with that foundation of one and two, I can figure out how to you know help you on, on the step three journey part. And, and usually, as I said, it's just one piece of advice, uh, a contact or two. So I, I'm hopefully feeling that once you leave, you're going to feel great that you had the time that you know to sit down and spend a bit of time together. And, and I know I find people, they say it's so refreshing, especially younger kids. They're like, wow, like no one even asked me those sort of things because... Usually I don't think they would care, right? It's just more of a transaction, like you quick, get to the point. What do you want? Okay, next, right? And for me, it's like every relationship is potentially the beginning of a long-term relationship. And so I don't mind investing that time. I truly do want to invest that time to start there. And, and it's just a lot more fun. You know, it's just more of a, a richer, rewarding way to approach life, in my opinion. I agree with you. And we'll see if that translates to your children who are now endeavoring to go into business on their own at some point here down the road. And I know your son is one. I read a story how he kind of started doing his own thing with a, a music playlist a few years ago, and he's tried so many different things. Do you see your values reflected in them already? Yeah, no, for sure. So, so Jay, our daughter, you know, she turned vegan, sorry, she turned vegetarian when she was about five and vegan when she was, you know, about 10 or 11. And, you know, she won't wear leather shoes, that kind of thing. And so for her, it's all about impact. And, you know, her last job was at Aritzia, you know, a very successful clothing company in their sustainability department. You know, sustainable fashion, sustainable clothing is, is one of her big things. And Anish, he's not so much on the impact side, but, you know, he's more about creating businesses. And, you know, I don't think he'll ever be employed per se because, you know, he just loves his own hours and, you know, uh, having no ceiling cap on how much he can make. And actually, this is kind of a neat story. We're... Uh, I think we're on a holiday somewhere and our family, we're quite involved with a number of charities. You know, we've got our own foundation. You know, I'm personally on four different charity boards right now, but uh, Nish and Jay are chatting and, and Nish turns to Jay and goes, you know, Jay, I'll make all the money and you can give it away. <laughs> and we just looked at each other and we're like, oh, <laughs> so yeah, I think they definitely have a lot of the values that we wanted to see in them. Um, and as I said, like, it'll be neat to see, you know, the upcoming years, like yeah, what they actually accomplish. But we're already really super proud of both of them. <laughs> and that comes through. Every time you talk about them, I see the smile on your face and I see that pride resonate through you. Like it comes out of your pores. And back to what you do as informed by them, 
You talked about your daughter being born as you invested in Carmana and you got going on the social impact side of your business and that really informed your future decision. How much of it as well, Praveen, was wanting to be able to go home and when your kids asked you what you do and who you do it with, being proud to say, here's who I'm with and here's why. For sure. That, that was a big driver, right? Just to you know, make them you know, as proud of you as you can and as a lead by example. I've helped write some books over the years and I'm working my own book. It's, it's not for publishing. It's not to make money. It was more a journal for the kids. And the title of the book is called, Do You Want an Ordinary Life or an Extraordinary Life? And I, you know, break it down in different sections, you know, there's a section on relationships, business, entrepreneurship, health and wellness. A lot of it's my own original content. And then I've taken the best of other stuff I've read over the years with appropriate credit and put in there. But going back to a couple of books I've helped write, I wrote two chapters on the value of integrity and using that as a cornerstone to build a personal brand. Right. So just like companies have brand, like, you know, Starbucks has a brand, Little Kitchen's got an awesome growing, hopefully global brand. But, you know, we have brands. And the sooner you learn that and realize that, the sooner you can kind of impact that positively or negatively, right? And with social media, we all know, like, I mean, that can definitely you know, hurt or help, right? So basically, I break it down into two forms of integrity. I go, look, there's an internal integrity, which is being true to yourself and your values, right? So it's the old, how do you act when no one's watching? Like, if I tell the kids I shouldn't litter, if no one's around, I shouldn't litter, right? And the second one is the external integrity, like, which is basically saying what you mean and doing what you said you're going to do, like keeping your promises. And even better is something that I you know, came up with a number of years ago. It's an acronym spelled U-P-O-D, and I pronounce it U-P-O-D, which stands for under promise and over deliver, right? As opposed to O-P-U-D, O-P-U-D, which is over promise and under deliver, the opposite. And unfortunately, you know, often it's human nature to, you know, tell people what you think they want to hear to please them and you set yourself up and them for disappointment, right? And, and both of those expressions and acronyms, UPOD um, and OPOD and the full versions of them, I've actually trademarked. <laughs> so that was kind of a fun thing. I'm like, yeah, I have, you know, I'm never going to invent something and get a patent. I might as well trademark something because <laughs> I was using it so often. But, you know, if you develop that reputation as a crusher, you become that go-to person that everybody wants on their team. Right. So it's no different than, you know, when we're on the schoolyard playing soccer, second captain, first pick, I'm picking Scotty. Right. And so I found that's really served me well because uh, integrity's allowed me to have business success that's led to some financial freedom, that's led to some time freedom. And so I've been able to kind of build my whole life around my big rock, so to speak, like, you know, health and, and fitness has been my personal wellness, like my number one thing. I used to think family was more important than my personal health. And then you realize, and actually I'll, I'll go a little deeper here in a second, but you know, your health is to be marginally in front of your family for unselfish reasons, because, you know, if I'm not healthy and I can't take care of my dependents, I'm in fact a liability because they got to take care of me. So I got to take care of the man, you know, and it's no different than when you're on a plane and they say, you got to put your oxygen mask on first before your kids, right? Because if you're dead, the kid's dead, right? So I've always, you know, all my sports, all the other stuff has been blocked in stone in my day timer. And then on the personal health story, and this comes back to something around Little Kitchen too here in a second. But when I was 45, so I just turned 58, 13 years ago, I actually had a heart attack. And it was just a bizarre incident and story because I, you know, was exercising. I was playing ball hockey every Wednesday night for a couple hours. I had a personal trainer three times a week. There was no family history on either side of heart disease. My cholesterol levels were normal. I did smoke, never done drugs. My diet was pretty good. And for some reason, I had this right coronary artery blockage, so I had to get a stent, which was amazing surgery in itself, literally 20 minutes in and out, you know, um, local anesthetic. But that whole episode was a gift, a blessing, 
you know, out of it came a few things. So one was, you know, I became more of a student about, you know, health and wellness and, and diet and, and, and longevity. And my learnings basically got me to stop eating meat. So I stopped eating meat then. I'm primarily vegetarian, but occasional pescatarian. But that's sort of how I describe my diet. A lot of my friends and family around me were like, wow, like you're one of the healthiest people we know. And this happened to you. We're doomed. <laughs> so we better like start exercising or quit smoking or whatever. Right. And so I'm like, I took one for the team. So you got to have a wake up call, right? And going back to Little Kitchen. So when I met Felicity, I was like, so are we going to have meat, you know, uh, at these locations? And I just love her answer. And she's like, Praveen, it's not going to be our place to tell, you know, people if they should eat meat or not. But as a business, it's just way easier to not have meat because, you know, you need like bigger fans and more equipment and different health regulations, more costs. So it's just simpler to be kind of plant-based. So I thought that was kind of an interesting you know, way she answered that. So health and wellness is super, super important. And even with these entrepreneurs that I mentor, you know, we'll talk the business stuff, go through this three-step you know, story. And then near the end, I'll always poke and prod on, on the person's side. I go, where are you in your exercise? Where are you in your diet, right? The other gift that came out of this heart attack episode was learning that you really have to clean up your environment, right? And so just like a, a food label, like if there's words on there you can't pronounce or don't know what they mean, that can't be very good for you, right? And, um, you know, bad diet is one of the things that it doesn't get you right away. It's that slow cumulative buildup that's going to be like a ticking time bomb. It's going to get you in. And so with the environment, you know, there's two examples. So one is just your home cleaning products. You know, like my wife, Anuja, would have this blue gross looking toilet bowl cleaner with three different XXX symbols on it. I'm like, what the hell is this, you know, stuff doing in our house? <laughs> this can't be good for us and definitely isn't good for the environment being flushed down into, you know, the toilet, into the rivers, the streams, the oceans. And then on the personal product side, your soaps, your shampoos, your deodorants, you know, all these things like your skin's your largest organ. Literally, if you take some of these products and, and just read them, like there's so many long words you can't even freaking pronounce. And so again, that can't be good. So, you know, if you really want to take the steps in the right direction on the health and wellness journey. It's not just about clean diet. Like there's a lot of other things that you can and should be doing, right? And as you just mentioned, that certainly ties into what Little Kitchen Academy is doing and the education component of eating and preparing food and being healthy and sustainable. So when you look into your crystal ball, you've seen a lot of companies over the years. You've seen a lot of people try to do good for the world. Five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, what's the impact of Little Kitchen Academy? Well, you know, if we just kind of keep up the path we're going on, like, you know, this little startup's gone in, you know, three years to like, you know, nine locations that are open in, in North America, including two in, in the States with, you know, our LA flagship in, in Portland. I know the the team, you know, has a specific target of, I think it's 234 locations, like it's very specific in a number of years. And, and you know, just the number of lives we're going to impact, it's actually really, really, you know, exciting. And, you know, food is one of the things that, you know, connects people, right? And we've all had so many memorable meals, right, that we can think about, you know, whether it's special meals like Thanksgiving or Christmas, or we just had a, an awesome experience last August. We had to drop Jay off in Madrid for a university exchange he was doing. And we went to this Michelin star restaurant called El Invernadero. It was an 18 course vegetarian meal with three desserts. And each dish, and you know, I, I, I'm not like big on taking pictures of food, like, you know, but I get it. Like every dish you want to take a picture because it was just like a work of art. And even watching from a distance, the staff prepare, like it was like surgery. They have five or six people around this little dish, each with like a little instrument to kind of carefully place something. But it was just very memorable. And I'm going to give a plug to a friend of mine. So uh, his name is Joel Primus. So Joel 
produced a movie called Raising Global Citizens. And he basically documented his 18-month family travel across three continents and nine countries with his wife and two young girls. And just this month, they won Best Adventure Film at the Toronto Documentary and Short Film Festival. And throughout the film, they share stories of how they ate food with local families, right, and connected over meals. And even families that didn't have much would bring them into their homes and, and break bread with them, right? So, so I think that's another really interesting thing that hopefully can come out of this is just this whole connection with food and, and you know, we're building relationships. Like it's so much of what we talked about is, you know, I think the opportunity through Little Kitchen here. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And in those 18 courses, I have no idea if there were any pickles, but there will be pickleball. Thanks to your invitation. <laughs> I will see you on the pickleball court, if not sooner. Praveen, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, Scott, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen? 